Welcome to the Medina Focus Podcast. Our goal is to provide space for collaboration and community among practitioners working with the Muslim diaspora in North America. As people around the world have immigrated to the West, many Christians have realized that they live and work in the midst of the nations, and they often feel alone and unprepared to communicate cross-culturally. If you're looking for conversation and community surrounding issues involving loving Muslim friends in Jesus' name, we welcome you into the conversation. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. I'm Brian. I'm Nate. Today we're talking about the idea of innovation and design thinking, and this might feel really far afield for diaspora ministry, and in one respect it might be. However, uh, for those of you listening to this podcast, you are probably engaged in some kind of diaspora ministry, and you've probably all hit the same wall that I know I've hit. I'm sure Nate's probably hit it as well, Mm. which is we're doing something new. Nobody at least when we started, nobody had really done it before. And at this point, still not many people have. And there aren't, you know, there's there's not a 20-year track history of amazing success stories and how-to manuals. We're all, I mean, we're kind of writing the book as we speak, right? Yeah. Uh, even though there are a lot of people across the country that, that are engaging with diaspora, it's not like there's 40 in any one church. It's like usually one per church and you don't have a lot of association with the others. So you feel like you're alone. And, and so we, we all seem to be making it up as we go along. Right. Yeah. You know, I remember one of our early conversations, the two of us had, uh, really demonstrates the difference between our two personalities. I don't even know. I don't even know if you remember this. You probably do. Uh, but I remember we were talking about diaspora stuff. And I mean, I was doing a missiology degree and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of an academic. And so like, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm also from Texas. So I have a little bit of a, you know, cowboy attitude. Like, oh, you know, we, we can do this. We'll, we'll get there. And I remember we were planning some conference together and you go, well, look, none of us have really all figured it out. And I immediately remember thinking like, no, we're figuring this out. Yeah, we can. But you were just you were just certain of like, look, none of us are experts. None of us have figured this out. And you're kind of like flattening the ground that I'm, I'm sitting here trying to make a nice pile that yeah. I can get up on top of. And you just go, no, 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 let's smoothen, and let's smoothen that back out. And I think at this point, I'm certainly uh, of the persuasion of even with as much as we now know, which is 10, 15 years more than we did back then, uh, it's, it's certainly nowhere what I hope to know in the next 20 years. And so we, uh, we've recently gone through a, a, a launch lab. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us, talk, talk a little bit about the launch lab that we did with uh, the guests that are coming on the show here today. Yeah, well, we were uh, struggling with the, our network. Um, having We have a, a list of unengaged people groups that Vision 5.9 are trying to engage around the world. Um, all the... Uh, 420 unengaged Muslim people groups and uh, we ran into trouble with the list and and revising it realizing that there were um, sometimes the same people group in multiple entries Mm -hmm. because um, we were counting them as having been from their home country but also again in diaspora locations and saying that they were different people groups and we we're trying to figure out how to um, consolidate that to think of think of them as one people group everywhere, and but that they also existed in in various locations. And we needed some help to 
learn how to present that to the rest of the missions community and um, how to think through it together. And, and these guys really helped us to um, mm -hmm. focus our thinking on that. Yeah, and so we had a group of people that were part practitioner, who were part academic. We had some people who handled the actual databases where all this information re resides. And, and so these are da data analytics people. Uh, it's just a very diverse group of uh, ideas, uh, conflicting information that we had to deal with and sort out. And uh, yeah, so the, the folks at Launch Lab uh, came in and uh, helped us out uh, on a design sprint. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's a really helpful tool uh, to going through the process of innovation, which even if even if you are an innovator, if you're naturally good at thinking on your feet or thinking outside the box or analyzing what you see and coming up with a plan, uh, sometimes it's, it's hard to turn that into what's a process that we can use. And so we're looking forward to getting into that conversation with them today. All right, let me introduce these guys. Paul Zubinski is the Catalyst for Innovation at Frontier Ventures, formerly known as the U.S. Center for World Mission. He's one of the founding members of Vision 5.9's Europe region and still serves on the core team. Before that, he served as a pastor in a church in Dallas and was a church planting pastor in two European countries. Stephen Spicer is the innovation lead in Frontier Ventures' Winter Launch Lab. His orientation towards group discernment was shaped by several years in a prayer ministry focused on encouraging intercession and member care for emerging movements in the Middle East and Central Asia. He's also served as a pastor of formation at a local church. Welcome, you guys. Paul and Stephen, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks. It's really great to be yeah. here. Yes, this is really wonderful. Awesome. Well, um, why don't you guys tell us a little about um, this launch lab that you work with? And I know that there's a longer name and the association. Can you tell us a little bit about the history and um, how do you guys work together? Oh, those are great questions. So uh, the it's called the uh, Ralph D. Winter Launch Lab for its whole thing. But if you were trying to find us on the web, which I'm sure everybody here listens to is going to just this minute, is... Um, winterlaunchlab.org okay and the, the winter launch lab um, is a part of frontier ventures frontier ventures is of course uh, used to be called the u.s center for world mission which uh, everybody probably knows yeah we've been going now for probably uh, uh five six no six years now i think something like that yeah so it was a one-man band until steven got there and then we were two so he played guitar and I played drum. <laughs> um, so we really walk alongside uh, workers, agencies, and networks at the frontiers of mission as they discern new ways forward to address the most difficult challenges. So the things that are most um, difficult currently today in bridging the gap between the people who understand the gospel and the people who don't have the gospel the people who have experienced gospel transformation and the people who haven't to fix that. Um, we really are seeking sustainable innovation to overcome those barriers. So that's what the launch lab does. We have um, three, almost four um, offerings for, cause we're working on something specific now. 
um, that will help people to overcome those barriers. So what are those, what are those offerings? Sure. So starting from the, the one that takes the least amount of time for the longest process that we have, um, first we have what we call an unstuck peer consultation, um, which is really about a two hour process, including the time of briefing beforehand. So it's an hour process actually with a group of people who are peers working in missions around the world. Um, and what it is, is you're sharing your case study, the thing that is a hard challenge, an adaptive challenge, meaning there's no simple solution. It's not just needing more money or the right know-how, um, but something that really is complex where we need to consider lots of different perspectives. And so that's a, a quick process of helping um, listen and, and offer other ways of looking at a challenge to help someone get unstuck. That's all that is. Hopefully they arrive at a couple next step options of ways to move forward as we hand the challenge back to them. The next one we have is a little bit longer. This is about two to five days. On Zoom, we do it in, in half days and kind of lengthen that out. Um, but it's a process of combining innovation and discernment. Um, so the, the goal is to help to jumpstart new initiatives, new responses to challenges in ministry, um, to design something that you're discerning of, this is how we feel like God's leading us to move forward. Um, and so if it would be helpful, I can go into a little bit of what that process looks like here. Um, so the, it has three main phases. Um, the first part is seeking understanding. So that's where a lot of the design emphasis on hearing and understanding the, the challenges that other people have and ways to bless them, discerning how God might be leading or seeing the challenge. Um, so a lot of reflection and prayer in that as well. And then moving towards prayerful reflection once, once you have some insights that have emerged um, that kind of indicate some new ways forward. And so sitting with that in a deep place of, well, how is this resonating with me? With me? What's this mean for my life, um, for our, our team, for our community? Um, we often do this with uh, networks, but we can also do it with uh, existing teams, ministry teams that are trying to discern where they're headed next um, or how to respond to a challenge in their midst or to recontextualize something. Um, and then the last phase is designing new ways forward, but it's really a discerning of new ways forward um, that includes some of the main design techniques of, of brainstorming and prototyping, testing some of your assumptions, but in a way that's combined um, with discernment practices um, to really sit with where God's leading, what's resonating, and, and deciding on some things to test out, um, starting small and, and seeing that as loops of discernment as you prototype. Um, and our last option or offering that we have is a transformation collaborative. Um, this is a one to three year process. So it comes from uh, maybe five days to now suddenly you're at a year to three years, but it actually follows the same process in a much elongated way. Um, and we found that for new ways forward to emerge, it needs to come from a place of formation. And so it's that transformation collaborative is just transformation of society, transformation that God is leading in the world, um, but it's also transformation in us. Um, so we've seen teams, as they reflect together, begin to see, to read scripture with some different eyes that are informed by even thinking about the people they would be ministering among, and arriving at some ways forward that come from a, a place of really discerning um, some new insights about themselves even and what that looks like for them to be with God in ministry. Um, 
And so that aims especially at, at challenges, like looking at a whole region of the world and saying, well, why aren't there movements in this area of the world? Uh, what might you be doing here? And so it's obviously a massive challenge you're not going to solve in a week. And so that's why we have this offering for our groups of people who really want to wrestle with a long-term challenge and wondering how do we see movements? How do we see people experiencing God's blessing and fullness of life in Christ? Um, so that's like, that's a quick overview. I don't know if you have any questions about specific parts, but uh, I think it's great. I, and and the the jump start is the the one process that we've have some experience together with, where you guys have led us in in a um, a process to to figure out how to remove diaspora segmentation from our people group list, right? And uh, um, it's this kind of stuff I really just resonate with. It's the way I think too. So I really appreciate you guys, but uh, there's part of it that it doesn't really sound like, uh, what does this have to do with Muslim diaspora that this program is about? Right. And, and uh, it's just been so amazing to me that how many uh, layers of overlap that we've had um, around the topic of diaspora ministry. So I'm wondering if, if maybe we can um, kind of, uh, test out a little bit of how you might apply this towards diaspora ministry. So let's say that uh, I, I came to you with a ministry challenge. I'm trying to discern whether I would I should raise support to do ministry full time, uh, or if I should try to um, earn the money that I need in a regular job and do ministry when you know in my spare time, something like that. What would be an innovative way that you might approach making that decision as the launch lab? David, don't you think that fits best into the Unstuck? I think that might be a good place to start. Um, we use Unstucks as a way of um, just quickly getting at things so that we also, as facilitators, understand how someone's framing a challenge and whether that, even as we imagine what a jumpstart would look like and what conversations need to happen, who needs to be involved, um, that's where we often start. So I don't know if you have an idea, Paul, of how you would want to move from there, yeah. Yeah, because uh, that sort of choice really is is something that you go, well, should I do this or should I do that? What are the pros and cons? Like, how do I figure that out? That's really a, a choice thing. So it's more of a conundrum. So that's unstuck. And then we called it unstuck because when people took that, it's just a pure consultation. Um, the overwhelming emotion that came out of that as they discussed their, as we did our feedback, was, hey, I, I just feel unstuck. I'm no longer stuck. And so we called it that. Yeah. I but, also have some um, thoughts about yeah, how we might use a jumpstart, too. Sorry to cut you off. No, 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 yeah. yeah. I was just thinking, for me, when I try to make decisions like that, sometimes I don't know which way to go until I really begin to explore what that would look like to go a few steps down that road. Um, so thinking about that with a, that, that jumpstart workshops space, um, I think it'd be really interesting with that kind of discernment question to begin seeking understanding, exploring, well, well, who are the people in the community? What are their needs? What are the opportunities? What are the challenges? God, what are the ways you might be speaking into this? Um, and as you begin to then explore, well, what could be some new ways forward and, and reflecting on that from a place of really holding things with an open hand. Um, we talk about language of having an open mind and open heart and open will. 
but coming to that place of stillness before God after you've really explored, well, who's, who are the people in the community? And what would this look like? Or what are the ways that we can move forward here? And then beginning to take those steps to imagine what it would be. That might tell you some of the answers of whether that's a part-time thing or a full-time. You might have something mm-hmm. that's bubbling up within you that resonates in a way that's where you're like, well, we can't really do that unless we go full-time. Um, obviously, you can look at some of the practicalities of financial models. You can look at different things. Um, what would the job that you're doing be? What are ways that, that could integrate with opportunities in the community? I suppose you could even design uh, a job or you know a business as missions role where you could kind of try to overlap as much as you as you could. If you're like me, you're looking for opportunities to connect with other practitioners and like-minded people. Conferences are good, but sometimes you feel like you're trapped in someone else's schedule, someone else's questions, someone else's ideas. Maybe you feel like you can't get off that train and you have these other pressing questions that you need to talk about. In the first week of September, we're having a conference called Merge 2022. There will be some speakers, but more of it will be a conversation, and you as a participant actually get to speak into the topics that we cover. Our goal is to get 200 practitioners who are working in diaspora ministry. We're meeting near majestic Estes Park, Colorado at the YMCA of the Rockies. So there will be plenty of free time, plenty of time to network and get to know each other. If you're interested in learning more, our email is medinafocus at vision59.com. That's M-E-D-I-N-A-F-O-C-U-S at vision and the numbers 59.com. Uh, you guys have participated in many other diaspora-related projects as well. Um, I know I would love to hear more about, I heard about this crazy vision trip that involved following nomads. Tell us more about that. We have to differentiate between two things. So when I think about diaspora and nomads, uh, uh, we're not talking about um, like digital nomads. So that would be a diaspora sort of thing, like if Stephen and I decided to go to the Caribbean and work from there. We would be digital nomads. But the nomads that we're talking about are like Bedouins who live in Northern Africa or something like that. So um, so they're not really diaspora peoples in that sense, except for they're always on the move. The, the Nomadic Peoples Network is part of uh, our office, uh, the Winter Launch Lab. Uh, we took a, a truck um, that was used as a, um, an adventure truck. It was like a secular company. And we put about 20 people into the truck and we drove it across uh, Central Asia uh, to visit all the nomadic groups that are there. We visited uh, the majority of the stands, sitting down with nomads along the way. Um, so camping out of the truck and uh, they went to um, all these different places. There's a place called, um, there's this, uh, like this crater. Um, that has natural gas that's been burning for like 30 years or something like that. They're, they're recently trying to keep it away from being uh, yeah, it's called hell. And um, <laughs> just because it's, it's massive, like the size of a, okay. know, an apartment building, it's just massive, huge around and it's just constantly burning. Wow. And um, anyway, so uh, they visited there and the, the nomads that are, you know, along the way. You know, we do that kind of thing that's just uh, we're willing as of the launch lab to entertain 
how to do things in unique ways because the goal of doing these things is not just to play or have fun or tell jokes about hamsters, but it's really about getting something done for Jesus. And often we have really great ideas, but we don't put, you know, shoe leather to them. We don't actually get them done, right? We have a lot of great talks in um, non-smoke-filled rooms in our churches because we just, you know, we have great ideas. But mm-hmm. the lots of is about executing those ideas. Mm-hmm. How do you actually discern from Jesus what's to be done and then actually do it? With some success, we've had our failures too, right? But that was the Nomadic uh, People's Network or the, the Nomad Truck Venture. You can find it at uh, nomad, nomadicpeoples.org. But we've done other things for Vision 5.9. Um, I worked in diaspora ministries, so I was a, a pastor of an expat church uh, for... Um, about seven years, a uh, youth pastor and, and uh, then an English-speaking pastor, and um, had tons of people um, in Europe where I, I was also a pastor in our church. I think we had 17 different nationalities, all uh, Latins and Spaniards and Catalans in Barcelona, um, and I worked for a while as well as a number of other places. Well, uh, last year, yeah. I know um, you guys were Stephen was such a huge help organizing our, our online Vision 5.9 network assembly. Um, he helped, you know, Paul, you loaned him to us to be able to um, y- learn how to use the online uh, app, the event app that, that uh, you guys had had experience with. And he was in charge of, you know, Stephen, you were in charge of the troubleshooting. We're so grateful for all you did mm-hmm. with, with the Zoom stuff there. And uh, I know that you guys are also quite uh, active in the Diaspora Peoples of Europe Network and their annual gathering. That's kind of where, where you got gather that experience, right, Stephen? So what goes on there? How, how are you guys involved with that? My involvement was actually piggybacking on, on Paul had maintained all these relationships for years from the time he was, as he was describing, creating it. Um, but for me, it was such a joy just to get to know the people there. I was part of my introduction to this whole network. It was actually through Diaspora Peoples of Europe, even though I'm living in the U.S. And so our first touch point as a launch club team was holding one of these, what, what we would now call a jump start with them, and just to begin discerning some steps for the organization um, or that, that branch of it. Um, and then being able to walk with them in the pandemic and how to maintain the network in that time and to learn all these online tools. Um, and so it's it's been really meaningful. Um, Paul, I know you know more of what's going on now as you're still with them more regularly. Yeah, I'm really excited about what um, what's happening there. I mean, I still sit on the core team, but there are 13 people on the core team now, uh, built out by Laura Eller primarily, and then also uh, Simon. Uh, They have done just a fantastic job. Um, Simon's in the UK, Laura's in in Spain. Uh, The group has MBVs in it, as well as um, uh, expats as well. The majority of them are are Europeans, it's it's wonderful. The network has a, a conference that it does annually, so we call it we would call it a conference. We call it a consultation uh, because it pulls together uh, leaders and uh, to some extent practitioners um, who all are trying to to figure out how is the best way to work with their segment of the diaspora peoples who are in Europe, Muslim diasporas in Europe. 
and as you know, you know, every kind of Muslim is in Europe uh, from every country pretty much. And so how do you work with, and they're all different, so how do you work with those segments or those parts, right? So uh, it's an exciting ministry. They also do um, webinars every couple of months, and you really need to get in on those. So DPE is called the diasporapeoples.eu. And if you go on their website, diasporapeoples.eu, you'll be able to take a look at when their webinars are and when the consultation is coming up, I believe, at the end of September. So uh, get in on that. It's great. It's a hybrid uh, consultation this year, so you can get in on that if you can't actually travel um, to where it's happening, and uh, you can you can participate. Uh, what I really love about it, though, is the way that uh, Muslims background believers um, are really stepping up and becoming a part of the network, or maybe the network is is really opening up and including them more. I'm really excited about uh, how everybody, everything is becoming more integrated. It's become a real beautiful thing. Awesome. So I know this is not your department, uh, but Frontier Ventures started the Perspective on the World Christian Movement class, or as most people just call it, Perspectives. Um, can you tell us anything about the latest advances in its growth? Sure. So one thing I know that they're working hard on is actually creating a whole ecosystem of walking with students as they walk through the program to then make great connections with other existing ministries that might align with them and the trajectory that God is leading them on in their lives. And so, whereas before that might be up to each individual, they're really trying to work together to create a community uh, of, and connecting with those who are involved in mobilization in all sorts of organizations. So I think that's something they're particularly excited about. And then obviously there's a team hard at work editing the next edition of the Perspectives Reader. So I think those are some of the biggest things happening. Yeah, Brian and I have actually been working with a, a team of friends to compile some suggestions for addition to the reader, actually, that would focus on how to include uh, ideas of diaspora ministry strategies in, into there. And uh, we'll see. It's, it's, a, it's a big project. There's a lot of good stuff in there. In order to put something new in, you have to think of what you might take out. So I, I uh, commend Steve Hawthorne and the gang um, for their taking on that big task of trying to figure out what belongs in there and what doesn't. Yeah, so, it's pretty arduous. Yeah. I, I want to give some space for you guys. Uh, we we um, may not have asked the question you wanted us to. What would you like uh, to tell us about that, that we haven't asked about so far? One thing in particular that I'd like to, to say is that the Launch Lab doesn't shy away from things that are slightly edgy. Instead of thinking outside the box, we'd like to keep the box in a different place in the house <laughs> and just be everywhere else. So we're very happy about that. Um, are there any great uh, design thinking resources that you would recommend for people who are intrigued by all of this and want to learn more? A couple starting points come to mind, at least. I mean, that's a world of, of resources you can pretty much get lost in um, when it comes to design thinking. The first places I would look, just to get an overview, IDEO.org. There's two IDEOs, but IDEO.org is focused on international issues, international development, and applying design thinking in that context. 
but they have a great design kit is what they call it. That's a field guide. They give you some different activities. Um, also Stanford's D school um, has reflections and resources. I found some of their stuff particularly helpful around some of the postures of an innovator. One of those is navigating ambiguity. You're probably going to have to go to not knowing what you're doing or exactly where you're going. Um, and I find that's often true with God too, where we don't always know exactly what is happening as God's leading us in a new direction. Um, so there's a lot of, of great stuff there. Um, I think this book, 10 Types of Innovation that we have, um, is a book that shows different channels or areas of business structures uh, and ways of delivering value that you can innovate in. I think that's helpful to get from this vague idea of innovation as a word we, we just we can just say that. But what we mean by that is sometimes hard to pin down. Um, but that book helps a lot with identifying some different areas for looking at in your existing model of ministry or model of business and ways of delivering value and blessing others. Um, so I think that's some good starting points. I also really appreciate um, the work of Ruth Haley Barton. Um, that's more around discernment. That's where we bring in, um, she has a book called Pursuing God's Will Together um, that has been helpful for us in terms of getting some basic tools and practices that are, are easy enough to access for people, um, but walking groups through a discernment process and what that looks like and connecting that to our rhythms of spiritual life together. I think that's a great place to start that we've pulled a lot from her material as we've mm -hmm. integrated that into the innovation processes that we facilitate. So sustainable new offering is uh, the definition of innovation that the, the book 10 Types of Innovation uses. And we use that as well because it's not just something creative. It's not just something fun with lots of color, but it's something that really gets, it's, it's sustainable and it's a new offering because it's a solution to a problem that hasn't been able to be solved before. Hmm. And we do that in the context of real deep spiritual discernment. And that's why Ruth Haley Barton is really important. Mm, that's great. Well, I, I think uh, there isn't, in my thinking, there isn't anything more innovative than uh, bringing the gospel into another, into a new culture and uh, having that be adopted. Uh, that's, that would be the, the ultimate adoption of innovation. Um, and so we are just really appreciative of how you guys have melded all this together, the spirituality of it, the discernment, the, the new thinking and the, the gospel going forth. Um, very, very glad to, um, to know that you guys exist and you're out there, um, on our side working on these topics. Yeah. And, uh, as as we're closing, I want to thank you both for coming on the show, but also uh, just the work that you've put into Nate and I and the launch lab that we did together was uh, super fascinating. Well, thanks. We really appreciate you guys and the work that you're doing. Love what you're doing with the Asper stuff. I love what you're doing uh, in, in all kinds of different ways. So thank you. Good to be here with you. You've been listening to the Medina Focus podcast. This show is hosted by Brian A. Bear and Nate Schultz. The conversations we have on this program are born out of an expanding environment of collaboration among grassroots ministry practitioners across the North American continent. If you would like to engage on a deeper level, our email is medinafocus at vision59.com. That's M-E-D-I-N-A-F-O-C-U-S at vision and the numbers 59.com.